Grapple fans, and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Meltzer 5 Star Project. It's not the end of this series of Meltzer 5 Star matches, but it is the end of the Ospreyathon, a little quadrilogy that myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co host Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co host Simon Cross, have been experiencing as Dave Meltzer's been festooning so many stars on top of Will Ospreay. You'd think he was on a gauche. Christmas tree. But that's not what it is. It's not yet December anyway. It's been the late August, early September period that Will Ospreay was going crazy with the five stars. And this was the last of the series. Simon, what match are we talking about today? We are talking about a semi-final in the AEW Trios tournament between the United Empire... So that consists of Will Ospreay himself and Aussie Open versus the Elite being Nick and Matt, the Young Bucks, and a somewhat rebandaged Kenny Omega. Boy, oh boy, does this match look uh, like a different light only a few mere weeks after it occurred. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it does seem like a very much like a time capsule now when you look back at it. It's like an isolated moment in history rather than like the start of something like they wanted it to be with the Elite as champions, I imagine. I think this AEW Trios Championship tournament will be one of the more divisive tournaments ever in wrestling. I think one other one that might elicit as much debate over its merits might be the Deadly Game tournament at the 1998 Survivor Series where there weren't a lot of good matches, but there were a lot of Russo angles. (laughs) This is kind of the opposite in a way, in that all the matches were fairly long from what I can recall. But I think, I mean, we dream booked like a a 16-team trios tournament, I think, at one point, when it was like, it was known these these titles were going to come around eventually, but it did seem like they were being held off until Kenny Omega could return. And that did turn out to be the case. But I will say that I do know for a fact that our, our tournament did not include the Trust Busters, for example. Some people have argued that, like, oh, there were so many great matches, pretty much, that like, the Oz- some people will prefer the Will Ospreay Aussie Open against the Death Triangle, who are the current AEW Trios champions, match above this one. And there was also a lot of love for the final that took place the next week on... All out. I can't remember what rating Meltzer gave it, but it must have been four and a half at a minimum, I would have thought. But it's curious, really, because this match, I suppose, embodies everything that the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega probably hoped that their run with the trio's title could be, in that it's just relentless, non-stop action. I mean, the match is only about 50... It felt about 15 minutes long or so. And it's just relentless action and... Lots of high spots, lots of teamwork, lots of big moves. Everything that drives some people crazy when they think of the Young Bucks 
and everything that people like Dave Meltzer love about matches involving the Young Bucks. And of course, it's also hearkening back to their days in Reseda, where they would be in these sort of six-man tag matches with Kevin Steen, with Adam Cole, and in at least one instance, in a past five-star match that we've covered, uh, opposite Will Ospreay. Yep. It does also have that New Japan thread of replacement Gaijin to Kenny Omega still living in his shadow somewhat, or at least maybe in his mind, still living in his shadow. Yes, they cultivated a storyline feud between the two of them on Twitter for months, I believe. I don't really, I don't follow either of them on Twitter, so mm. I didn't get the full gist of it. But they always seem to be bitching at one another from the distance. And the week before this was when Osprey and Aussie Open defeated Death Triangle. And then Omega came out and it was semi-worked shoot, semi-in storyline and... Omega basically saying, you are my inferior copy, and that carries through into his introduction this week. (laughs) What an intro. And Osprey really just somewhat taking the bait, but ultimately having the confidence in himself and the determination that Omega's some, you know, is clearly like, just like Okada, he's this other thorn in the other part of his side. He's got so many thorns in his sides. You'd think he was uh, uh, Alice, the Queen of Thorns from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I was going to say a um, notorious Blackberry picker, but mm-hmm. we'll go with yours. It's a bit more poetic. And Osprey plays up that intent and intensity from the start. He doesn't really bother with any poses when the entrances happen. Aussie Open come out and stand at the entrance ramp. But Osprey just marches to the ring and then yeah. is waiting for Omega to make his entrance. When the bell goes, Osprey immediately charges him. So, uh, absolutely attacks him. And then they're, they're like all brawling, trading chops. It's, it's a very fast-paced, brawly, visceral start. And it's not like tags, quick tags that like lead the others to come in for a quick standoff. It's more that the brawl just gets so intense that the the other elements are immediately drawn into it to back their man up yes the young bucks and aussie open are very much supporting players in this there's been no attempt to build up any kind of rivalry between these two teams and i think that's a bit of a shame because i like the dynamic of what aussie open presents in their size and their look they remind me a lot of the heart foundation Okay, yeah, yeah. In that, um, just trying to remember their names. I've got them written down here somewhere, yeah. Mark Davis is the Jim Neidhart character. And Kyle is his name? Kyle Fletcher, yeah. Kyle Fletcher. He's not a technical wrestler like Bret Hart. And he's he's got size on him too, but he's leaner. And he can do a bit more of the athletic uh, stuff. Yeah. So I thought if they were to develop over time on TV, maybe a Heart Foundation-esque style is what would suit them the most i don't know enough from their work on the australian and british scenes and i guess they're hoping that they will carve a niche in new japan now they already are the njpw strong tag team champions and i'm sure they would like to and very well could at uh, royal quest i believe win the iwgp tag team titles from ftr 
It's entirely possible. So, yeah, this is the end of the run for Will Ospreay. And I think this is maybe on about an even level to me with the Ricky Knight Jr. match in the as far as what rating I would give it. Mm. I liked it enough. But there were a lot I felt like there were quite a lot of moves that were slightly mistimed, slightly off. So yeah. Not perfectly hit. So it never quite connects for me. I mean I've some people say like flat out say it was an awful match on Twitter. They're people that like to <sighs> rile people up with their Contrarian opinions. Well, yeah, but I don't know if it can entirely be contrarian, because I think if you don't like the Young Bucks style anyway, a uh, Young Bucks style match where things aren't going completely right in a in a very choreographed style can be a problem for you. And then when he gets lavished with five stars, it can bother you even more, so you want to lurch even further to the... Like, if you're going to overrate it so ridiculously, I'm going to underrate it so ridiculously. Yeah. So maybe somewhere in the middle, the truth can be found. Yeah, it's one of those like age-old, well, not age-old, one of those things that have come to light, light quite recently on the internet, but it has been around for a long period of time, is it's not enough for me to be right. You have to be emphatically wrong. And I guess that's how a lot of wrestling discourse seems to play out on social media at the minute. I do like the relationship going on between Osprey and Omega, that they've in a very short space of screen time. I mean, their big promo off was off camera as well. Yeah. But there's enough there, especially with, as you say, Justin Roberts just announcing all these various things that Omega's done that's better than Osprey. He has done more charity work than Will Osprey. Yeah. He's uh, had more five-star matches. Was that one of them? Or he's won Wrestling Observer Match of the Year? Or, you know. He's won more G1s. Definitely came in there, I think. Yeah, and he's also got a superior win record to Osprey. Yeah, I don't think I think they're saying he hasn't lost to him, at least not in any significant match. Mm. And he's right. I mean, we have had one before, haven't we? He was part of that Omega and Ibushi against Tanahashi and Osprey match. Yeah, that was in the build up to the Wrestle Kingdom, and and it is right. Osprey has been presented as the inheritor of. The Omega Top Gaijin mantle, insofar as the matches, I suppose, that he's the one that gets the five star rated matches because you can argue still in positioning, surely it's still Jay White that's the true Top Gaijin yeah. in New Japan since he holds the bloody belt at the moment. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 right. In terms of like status, like booked, recognized status, it's Jay White. But maybe it's that perception of who is the best in ring performer in the world right now and that. The whole worry with Omega coming back is that is he ever going to come back at 100%? And that's what they're playing into mm. in his presentation. He's As you say, he comes in with that compression shirt. And when Osprey rips off the shirt, you see all the taped and bandages. And his cupping on his shoulder as well. And again, how much of this is true? How much of this is Omega playing it up and he's actually physically in a much better state? I mean, I feel like he even seems to have like not done his hair as well as it mm. was before and his... He doesn't seem to be as impressively tanned as he was before. <laughs> uh, it almost it almost seems like he's deliberately trying to make himself look bad. I mean, that's what you're presenting. Maybe that is just how he looks now. He does do those subtle things. He does, like, with his heel run. For certain matches where he was, like, against a much more loved babyface or a higher-up babyface or an equal babyface, he'd, like, change his moustache just to be, like, more of a knob. Well, I mean, Nick Jackson's also a great 
a dyer of beards. Yes. <laughs> that was one of the funny things I was saying about that whole melee, which we won't go into here, but uh, imagine all that's happening and Nick's still got that moustache <laughs> that he had from earlier on in the show. That superstar Billy Graham, Hollywood Hogan, Michael P.S. Hayes-style tash and dye job. I mean, the whole story's pretty unbelievable, but I think that'd tip you over the edge. I think I fell back in love with the potential of six-man tags. During the Five Star Project, actually, the first run of it, when we were watching some of those, you know, especially uh, all those All all Japan six-man tags, but especially the Super Generation Army, Misawa Kawada Kabashi against Saruta, Fushi, and Tawei. Ah, Fushi. And that's why I always said that everyone was saying, oh, who's ever going to care? What what kind of prestige can you attach to the trio's championship? And I can see some of that argument in that who dedicates themselves to being a trio in North American wrestling anyway. Your closest brief, brief period was the Shields run against the Wyatts and immediately Evolution. But it was so brief and such a flash in the pan that you can call it, obviously, two trios fighting each other. But you couldn't call it a true dedication to trios wrestling because it didn't last long enough. Also, you had the New Day and the Shield during the SmackDown v Raw period. They had at least one match against each other. Yeah. But you're right. And then it's that worry that, you know, once... And to be honest, this has been a problem with other championship belts. Once it's taken off of the elites suddenly it's not seen as much of a focus or of an importance to both the people on screen and the bookers Mm. and the amount of screen time that they're given. You know, the tag team belts have never been better presented and better booked than when the Young Bucks had their long run with those titles. That's just just the facts as it's gone so so far. Yeah. Uh, And arguably also Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, but that was also like Omega didn't really care about the tag titles almost in a way. Anyway, that that wasn't his ultimate focus. And that's going to be a problem with the trio's belt in theory in that how will that be your ultimate focus? But I think what makes those Super Generation Army, Sarutagoon matches work so well is there does feel like there's high stakes because it's that true, like, like who is the dominant group, dominant ideology within all Japan. And obviously that fits as well within Japanese traditions of everyone being part of some sort of team some sort of stable some sort of faction some sort of partnership yeah and there is a lot of that within AEW. as i said when we were working through a potential tournament we had 16 feasible trios either through actual factions like the the dark order like the inner circle that it would have been at the time and so on and so forth so if you can symbolize it that the trios championship represents the top faction in the promotion and that that's what it truly best represents then that can have some weight to it in theory that could be how you do it in new japan but it really is treated as such an afterthought there the 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 only person that seems to have ever cared about holding that belt is yoshihashi (laughs) if you can fix fit it in with that that it's a status symbol for a group then I think you can keep a healthy uh, trios scene. And you can also allow, I think it allows for a lot more interpromotional stuff as well. You can probably bring in a great Lucha trio and have them go for the belts and have a run with them. You can bring in people from outside. You can probably bring in New Japan talent like Osprey and Aussie Open. And given the fact 
that they attacked the elite after this match, after the cameras went off. Mm. That suggests that there was always a plan to at least do a rematch between the teams, and you would assume that fitting also into the elites holding the trio's title as they were supposed to coming out of All Out. So I don't have much more left to say about this match, other than it's a spot fest. It's built around... Osprey and Kenny Omega. Omega does a pretty good face in peril situation. Nick Jackson has a fantastic, as you would expect of him, house on fire, hot tag. But for the most part, it's just more of the same and uh, an inferior version. Like, there's just little bits that don't work. Like, I remember they, they try to... And the camera work also doesn't help because they do try to recreate some of the most famous moments from that six-man tag in Reseda. Which is Adam Cole and the Young Bucks, to be fair. I think it's Osprey, Ricochet, and Matt Seidel. And that is the Young Bucks setting up the Meltzer driver only for Osprey to counter with his perfectly timed springboard into an os cutter. And then Mark Davis, or whoever it is, the other Aussie Open guy, reversing the tombstone. And then it's supposed to be Will Osprey doing his shooting star thing, but he doesn't really touch Nick after he does it, but like his shoulder grazes one of his his butt cheek, whichever butt cheek's nearest to him. And there's just a lot of that throughout the match, really. Just kicks being slightly off the when Osprey goes for the V trigger, again a replay of him just obsessing over trying to do Omega's own moves to Omega. And it always coming up short for him in each of these three matches, actually. He doesn't even hit him in the right place, really. It sort of goes into... And it's not at a Omega, I don't think. I think it's at one of the Jacksons. But yeah, the camera misses the, the Oscutter cutter and then he misses the V-trigger. And yeah, it just, it just doesn't quite all come together for me, I don't think. How about you? I don't know. Do you feel the same? Yeah, well, pretty much. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. I, I have two questions to ask about this. Okay. Number one, do you think the fact that this was worked to TV with ad breaks like affected the flow of the match? Yeah, a little bit, but they, I think they timed it well with the whole... That was the time when someone's a face in peril and they slow it down a bit. It didn't bother me as much as it has in other AEW matches. I'm one of the people that didn't really like Jericho having the, the walls of Jericho applied for like four whole minutes. Mm. So I don't think that's a way to work around it personally. But I don't recall it being a, a big issue for me. That's just the, you know, not compared to other ones like Blood and Guts and the like. Fair. It didn't seem to. Because it was just like classic what you do in a six-man tag. You isolate the ring, you cut it in half. And that was the time to do it in a match that's otherwise all big spots, big spots. But it doesn't feel like it's out of place of this sort of match, really. No, that's fair. That's fair enough. Okay, my second question is when do you think we'll see Osprey versus Omega next. The problem with you making asking me to make these predictions is you don't know when suddenly someone's going to get involved in a backstage brawl and get bitten in the arm. So there's there's only so much authority you can have with these predictions. I don't know if this is going to take place in AEW ring or a New Japan ring. Mm. I feel like it will happen. And I would have thought that the logical thing would be either it be at Wrestle Kingdom or at Forbidden Door 2. Or forbidden dirt, <laughs> as I would call it. Would that become forbidden porch door? I don't know. Uh, forbidden saloon door, because you can kind of see where people are anyway, coming in and out. That would be brilliant, actually. If, like, New Japan wrestlers walked through a saloon door as an entrance ramp and someone's playing a piano and stops. <laughs> All dressed as cowboys. 
Yeah, that's for uh, like those commercials that WWE did for a while, like the Royal Rumble as West Side Story. <laughs> so this is my question for you that I've been planning, I've kind of teased. Because we have been talking about four Will Ospreay matches, only one of which I think is very close to five stars or five stars. But I do appreciate that he is a once-in-a-generation talent. He's maybe the most physically gifted wrestler outside of Okada that we've seen this century, arguably. Yeah. And, And really, he can do more spectacular things than Okada can do. So... And because I was thinking about this. Yeah. Because MJF's talking about he's the going to spark the bidding war of 2024. I was thinking about this before the whole melee ensued, but we, you know, as Omega's playing up, he's not got many years left on the clock. And Osprey mm. can do stuff that he can't do anymore or was never able to do in the first place. And he is a better performer all around and he can talk on the mic and he can do all these things. So, say if you were in a bidding war, if you were a promotion in a bidding war, and you could either put all of your fo- focus, all of your funds, this is kind of like you're doing a, the picking your fi- fantasy Premier League team, you know, and it's always like, do you go for Haaland, or do you go for Salah, or do you try to get them both, or, you know, those sort of things. The year both Fulham and Leeds got promoted, it seemed like everyone was deciding on whether they were going to go for um, Mitrovic or Bamford. Yeah. My question is, if you're if you have a choice of putting all your money and putting all of your stake of a future top star in one of two people, would you go with MJF or would you go with Will Ospreay? Or would you go for a third party that you think is an even bigger prospect oh, out, of the three, out of those two? In a... What a question. That's my question. If you, were building a, if you were to build a promotion, if I was to build an American promotion around anyone in the year 2024... Even if it's WWE, I think I would seriously consider making it Will Ospreay. I think out of the two options, I would shade it to MJF, I think. But purely because I, I, I think the way he connects with the... Like, the way he works the crowd with the mic is just insane. And you can build round that. A slight criticism I have of Ospreay compared to... I'd say Okada or Omega is... Ospreay wrestles certain opponents... A lot better than he does others, where it's a bit more seamless with a Carter and Omega. But do the crowds care about that stuff? You got to think it's not just, you know, like like very specific, like specific markers that you're doing for your own personal enjoyment. I'm thinking of who's the closest thing to a complete package for what a 21st century, 2020s pro wrestling fan wants. And I feel like if you... It's like Bret Hart's requir- three basic areas of requirements and you rate them out of ten. What's their look? What's their promo ability? And what's their in-ring ability? Well, Osprey has like a eight out of ten look. Yeah. He's, in what he can do in the ring, he's a ten out of ten, really. Obviously, then you factor in psychology and everything. Maybe you mark him down a bit, but not by much. And then on promos, I would put him on at, at least a seven. Hmm. Now, MJF can do stuff in the ring. I, I also think like his match against Darby Allen is like one of those unfairly forgotten matches that really showed the peak of what he can do in the ring. That that's, that's the term sleeper hit, isn't it? It's really a sleeper hit. But a look-wise, he is not the biggest guy in the world, and that still has some aspects of a problem in wrestling, I think, to the general audience. I still think it affects them. 
he overcomes it by being like a prick about it all. I just think it's more about the sizzle than the steak than it used to be, as JR would put it. It is more about the spectacle, and no one can do a spectacle better than Will Ospreay. And you've only got so many years, you can probably milk that out of him, whereas MJF can probably be a big deal, the way he wrestles, the way he talks, right up to 15 years from now. So maybe even as a short-term investment, Ospreay's the wiser one to go for. Mm. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I take your point, short-term versus long-term. It's just, I guess, what kind of sizzle do you want for your steak? I, I guess I'm looking a little bit in the other direction. It feels inevitable to me that at some point, Osprey's going to get snapped up on a big contract by either AEW or WWE. Because especially now with Triple H, I can see Triple H looking at Osprey and going, I can do with him things that Vince would never have allowed us to do. Yeah. And it would be a real statement of intent. And he's young enough that, again, I, like, I could see Will Ospreay main eventing WrestleMania 41. That seems utterly plausible to me as something that might happen in the abstracts. Sorry, I was just counting them off in my head. That's three years from this year, basically. Well, two and a half years from now, basically. Okay, okay, gotcha. Because I don't know how long his New Japan contract's up for. He might want to be a New Japan lifer. We don't know yet. But a lot of guys you know, have said they've wanted to be New Japan lifers and then... You, you gradually find that your body's breaking down. Like, I mean, in a weird way, Will Ospreay might be looking in a in a mirror into the future in what Kenny Omega was looking like in this match. Yeah. The mystery remains, if he does come back, do we ever get that old Kenny Omega again? We'll have to wait and see. Maybe. I don't know. Like, the way wrestlers age like wine now compared to aging like milk, it's not impossible We'll see. There are certain things that Osprey and Omega do in their matches that people in their 40s can't really do. Yeah. Look at what Jeff Hardy's doing now compared to what Jeff Hardy of 2000 and 2001's doing. But anyway, that has been the end of our Osprey-a-thon. I am sure we've got plenty more Osprey five-star matches, if not this year, than in the upcoming years, unless, you know, something well out of our foresight occurs. So knock wood or touch wood or whatever it is you need to touch. As I was saying, it's not the end of the five stars for us because next week we're covering a match and I believe this is a first, a five-star match from Dave Meltzer that one of us actually was live witnessing as it happened. Simon, what is our next week's episode going to be? Which I saw with my very naked eyeballs looking directly at the ring. We are talking about... A match at Clash of the Castle, namely for the Intercontinental Championship between Sheamus and Daring General Gunther. Just like waiting for the buses, as in 1994, 1997, and now 2022, you wait ages for Dave Meltzer to give a main roster WWE match five stars, and then two of them come in quick succession. (laughs) But... Until next week, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, with any kind of matches or ratings or substances they might want to recommend, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of questionable haircuts on display. And I'll let you all figure out who I mean. My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the start of Aussie Open. N for the N at the end of Aussie Open. That's my Twitter handle. Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that is my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntyspod at gmail.com. LNTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. 
But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.